when you look in the mirror and know yourself, all your limitations, all your faults, all your qualities, all your strengths, and own them all in, in an integrated way, that's a brave thing to do. Welcome to the When We Are Brave podcast, a podcast sharing inspirational stories and conversations, plus tips and tricks on living your best and bravest life. I'm your host, Tiffany Johnson, author of Brave Enough Now, keynote speaker and your host of the When We Are Brave podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to When We Are Brave. I know that together we are going to live our best and bravest life. I've been thinking a lot lately about how I can help serve during this pandemic of COVID-19. I know we're all a bit sick and tired of hearing about it, but it is within our everyday life. And I've been wondering how I can help serve during this time. I've been seeing so much fear and anxiety, both online and in the news and within our community. I thought of no better person to ask than my uncle for help. John Harradine has worked in the field of psychotherapy for over 40 years. He's worked with Fortune 500 corporations, leaders, government bodies, sporting organisations, including Olympic teams, plus works with individuals, helping his clients transform not only themselves, but also their relationships and organisations within whole communities across the globe. And most importantly, he's my uncle who's helped me many, many times over my life. I feel totally honoured and blessed to have him on this show today. Together, we're going to unpack what it means to us to be brave, how we can help move through our fear and share a whole bunch of amazing tips and practical tools that can help us during times of high anxiety and stress as we sit with this new normal of self-isolation until such time that our world moves into the next phase, this is a great opportunity for us to really look inward and try and work out what our next steps are. I hope you enjoy today's session of When We Are Brave. I can't wait to get started. Welcome to the When We Are Brave podcast. As you know, I'm so thrilled and honoured and humbled to have a family member on the show today, my uncle, John Harradine. Welcome. Hi, how are you? We're doing okay in this crazy time. It is, so isn't I it? just want it certainly is. I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell um, my listeners out there about how amazing you are and tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm I'm getting on. I'm seventy three this year, so there's a lot under the belt, so I could tell you about myself for quite some time. But in short um, the last several years, I've set up a psychotherapy practice and written a book called Breaking Patterns. Before that, I spent 40 years in the corporate world. And my last gig was um, seven or eight years ago. And I noticed after the GFC that corporate cultures changed a lot. And they're quite loaded with fear. And I, I see a lot of clients in my uh, practice that come out of that fraternity uh, there are upwardly mobile upwardly mobile middle class families who live in that world and I'm starting to see the stresses that live behind organizations that they don't see and I'm finding that fascinating so my interest is in the human condition on all aspects of it in family life work life and that really is my passion in life apart from playing tennis 
perfect. Yes, you've always loved tennis. I still mm. don't understand tennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can I can not. I can tell you this love means nothing to a tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> that joke I did get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um I know that I am I'm not very brave when it comes to tennis that's for sure I've always left that to your side of the family but what does it mean to you to be brave I've actually been thinking about that since you and listening to a couple of your other podcasts and asked me about it so I mind mapped it this morning so I don't know that we, we could spend the whole session talking about that but I'll try and be brief about it I think there's two levels there's being brave in the external world and there's being brave in the internal world, the inner self. You know, the external world is all situational and it's about where I work, where my family is, my relationships. And there's also things like uh, being brave in catastrophe, which is something you've demonstrated in your life, or both in and after that, where you need to look into the internal world after an event like that. And there's also personal and societal bravery. And I think bravery or being brave is different from bravado, which is kind of Mm. stacked on energy that tries to push through something. Being brave is a lot deeper than that in the internal world. Are we brave about our future? Are we brave about our present? Are we brave about our past? So I kind of looked at it from what are the questions I get to ask about that rather than what the answers are. Where do I put my bravery and do I believe I have any in the first place? Because some people, I was talking to a client who didn't see that in themselves. So how do you own your bravery is a question to me. And not in an egocentric sense, I'm brave, right? Um, But more in the how do I own my, my courage and bravery in the way I approach my life, and that means a, a bit of a deeper dive into who I am, not so much about what I do in situations that might demand bravery. If you think that the fire is, I mean, that is internal and external bravery demonstrated in, in spades. I, I watched a video uh, on We Are One that was dedicated to the, um, the fire is, and I wept twice. <laughs> I was moved to tears by it because of the internal and the external bravery that kind of came together in those moments. So the internal bravery that follows that um, event, that sort of event, and I've had some catastrophes in my life, I could call them that, um, not on a societal scale but on a personal level, caused me to dig inside myself. And I think when you look in the mirror and know yourself, all your limitations, all your faults, all your qualities, all your strengths, and own them all in, in an integrated way, that's a brave thing to do. And sometimes catastrophe, I think the COVID-19 situation is forcing many of us to do that. And we either step up into it, stack on bravado about it, or we collapse under it. So the internal world is about how we authentic with ourselves. And I think the bravest thing we can ever do is open our hearts to another. But in order to do that, we have to open our hearts to ourselves and that can be the first step that becomes very brave because we have to look at our demons or our limitations, whatever you want to call them. How do we feel comfortable in the unknown? Because when we do 
face that unknown of who are we and digging deep into knowing ourselves and being brave in doing that it can be incredibly uncomfortable for many many people and like you say being forced into a situation like COVID-19 people are having to take a look at who they are and what they need to do and how they can change how they can evolve after this what their new normal is going to look like so how can we start to learn to feel comfortable in the unknown that we're all currently facing well, there's a, there's a, many people will have heard of this framework, but there's a, there's a learning cycle called moving from unconsciously unskilled to unconsciously skilled. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay, so I start out not knowing what I don't know. Let's think about driving a car, right? You get behind the wheel for the first time and you want the windows up, the radio off, no one in the back seat. And you, you start to feel the clutch in the accelerator if you're in a manual. And then you find out what you didn't know by, by either accelerating or kangaroo hopping down the street, which is kind of like consciously unskilled. I know I don't know, right? I know. It's like, oh, bugger. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we get on our P-plates and we kind of know that we know, but we've got to practice. And then we just know. And that's what we're taught, is to know. And that means we've got to be in charge or in control. So being comfortable in the unknown is actually letting go of control, which is letting go of everything we've ever been taught in order to be in, char- in, 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 order to be in charge of ourselves. If you think about control, it's a very contractive energy. If you think about charge, it's a very open energy. I'm in charge of me. I'm not in control mm. of me. And we need a balance between those two things. So we're all taught that. And it's a common learning cycle that's used in teaching people things. However, um, what is, my work has brought me to is how do we go to the next level where we don't know? And I call that comfortably unskilled. I'm comfortable being unskilled and in the unknowing. And you ask the question, how? And that's the journey to self-trust. I, I teach this stuff at one of the psychological colleges up here and there was a bit of a chaos in the college around changing a few things and some some students came in and they were checked in, they were checking in and they were concerned about the late delivery of materials and a whole lot of stuff. And one woman turned to me towards the end of the check-in and said, I don't trust this process. I'm not sure I want to be here. And she turned to me and she said, do you trust this process? And I actually surprised myself a little when I turned around and said, I trust my process in the face of all of that. And that was a nice experience for me to have because I don't think even 10 years ago I might have responded so quickly with that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a lifelong journey to trust yourself because we keep letting ourselves down sometimes. We break our words to ourselves and we don't keep our word, we don't follow through on something and we stop trusting ourselves and then things get skittish and we want to retreat back to those control vehicles that we all have so trusting yourself is a precursor to living comfortably in the unknown i think that's one of the hardest things for people to do in life and face that you can actually trust yourself Mm. and trust yourself that you're going to make mistakes and let that be okay yeah you have to sit okay with those mistakes Mm. i've made lots in my life and i'm okay with that (laughs) 
Yeah, haven't we all? <laughs> in fact, I, I think I can do this work because of all the mistakes I've made. Yeah, it's through our broken pieces that we um, are able to be our whole. I actually was um, I was reading this morning on another podcast that I'm going to be on um, with a, a lady from America this morning, and we were talking about broken pieces of ourselves, and it led me to... Mm remember a piece that I'd written in my book and I'll just I wouldn't normally do this but I think it's I think it's appropriate for this conversation because it's also about trusting myself now I have come to know that I no longer need to live my life as if I am living it for those who died I need to live it just for myself for all of me Mm. for all the broken parts of me for all the fixed parts Mm -hmm. of me for the me that I am Mm -hmm the me that is whole. And I think that's really important because that also leads to understanding that as I do trust myself and it took me a very long time to really Mm. accept that, to learn that it was okay to trust myself and it was okay to make mistakes and and be okay with all of that. And now as well as we head into this COVID-19, I'm listening to my intuition, I'm making sure that the choices that we're making as a family and as individuals that I'm okay with that. I feel good about the decisions that we're making. I've made choices about children going to school and foods that we're eating and making sure that we're nourishing our bodies, our minds, our spirits, we're exercising, we're meditating, we're trying to do all the right things to make sure that we're in a space of health and wellness in a time of great fear and anxiety and um, being scared about illness and I can't be in a position um, with my type 1 diabetes that I can be getting sick. So what can we do to ensure that, you know, face that unknown of what the world is facing? I want to make sure that I'm set up and most prepared as I possibly can be and I trust in myself that I'm making the right choices with that. The question is what can we do? Another question is how can we be? Yes, which is not so much about doing, it's about who am I in this that determines what I do. What do I know about myself? What do I trust, not trust still about myself? What, how do I embrace my fears? And I, you said something I actually wrote down as one of the inner worlds is how do I use my intuition, which is working in the unknown. And most of us are not taught to trust ourselves or let ourselves down in life or feel let down in life. Or something happens along the way that breaks that trust because trust is the first thing that happens to us when we're born for the first 18 months of our life. And, and neuroscience has shown we learn everything in life by the time we're seven. doesn't mean we can't change it. If I learn to push my way around the sand pit, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Hello to someone who leads a very large country in this world right now. Mm. And if I got a pat on the head for being a good boy or girl, I look for the reward. If I got criticised, I'll either avoid or rebel against that. And if I got ignored, I'll either act out or withdraw. And we get combinations of those things that follow us and our patterns follow us. And we've got to embrace them in order to break through them. And so that part of trusting your intuition in the unknown I think is fundamental because you who are you to trust your intuition and if you're fragile and in anxiety all the time that actually can trumpet 
unless you embrace the anxiety rather than try and sit on it or push it away. Mm. And that takes bravery to embrace, to embrace that anxiety or fear or concern. It, it's brave to do that. There's a lot of work done around trauma now and, uh, and I've done some research in that and actually done some programs in it and I treat clients that have gone through traumatic situations. And one of the things they've discovered is Holocaust survivors their children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren suffer the same trauma as the people that experienced it. It takes three generations to get that out of our macro system. Can you explain to listeners what a macro system is, please? Your macro system is your physiology, your physical being, your emotional being, your mental being and your spiritual being, whatever that means for you, how you find meaning in life is a spiritual quest, whether it's religion or uh, some kind of practice. But where do we find meaning in life is really a spiritual pursuit. And so our macro system contains all of that. And if we uh, don't have that all lined up, we start to get fragile and we start to get anxious and we start to get fearful. What are some tools that we can use to help us move through our fear and help us during times of high anxiety? There's some momentary things you can do, and they are techniques and tools. They don't solve it all. Um, a lot of it depends on the level of consciousness you operate off. Of. And breathing, four by four by four breathing, breathe in for the count of four, hold for the count of four, let go for the count of four, is the first step to settle your physiology. Because your physiology is where you first experience something. Your body gets tense, it gets tight. And we're taught to numb that out and to know. And so sometimes we bypass that experience. And that part of our system remembers everything from the time we're conceived. If I tell you to think of the taste of a sour lemon, you think about it long enough, you're feeling it in the back of your throat, but you're not tasting the lemon. Your reptilian brain or your physiology remembers everything from the time you're conceived, not born. And we take on some energies in that space. And how many times would it take a, a person who's suffering um, anxiety or fear at this point in time? Would they need to do the four by four by four three times, ten times, multiple times a day? How often could they do that? I think, I think it's a personal thing until you're settled. I don't know that you can put a formula on it. Yes, if someone's in high anxiety, there are other things you can do. Um, there's a thing called free-form writing. If you're really anxious about something, write it all out. Do some breathing, then write it all out and say whatever you want to say, unedited, and then rip it up and throw it away and do it again. You've got to get it out of your physiological system because that's where the anxiety lives in your body and in your mammalian brain, which is your emotional brain. It doesn't live in your neocortex. That's a reaction to those things. Your unconscious and subconscious are your emotions and your physical system, your physiology, and that's 95% of what's going on. And it will trump the cognitive or uh, rational side of your brain every single time when there's a conflict. So self-talk, understanding your self-talk is another tool. When you say, I had a student who's dis I've discovered he's dyslexic and he's working through uh, this course which is quite challenging for him he hadn't shared that with me but the group that look after him in the college 
let me know about that and I got permission to from him to talk to him about it. And uh, as you know, I've got two children that are dyslexic, so I've seen how that learning energy makes them feel so uncomfortable, not part of things, so separate. And that feeds anxiety because they don't feel like they belong. They're not, inverted commas, normal in every other way oh, they come might on, be. no one in our family's normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, well, actually, the truth is, normal is dysfunctional. So yeah, I'd rather not be normal. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, at school, when you're developing your identity, that's very anxiety-provoking. And so um, we we learn to develop these self-talks about who we are. And and he was saying that he was stupid, and he is not. So that self-talk doesn't help him when we criticise ourselves. It's called an inner critic attack. We all have an inner critic that comes into our life at about three years of age, four years of age. And so we all have, we're all hard on ourselves, but we need to be hard on the issue and soft on ourselves. Be, yes, of course, correct from things that you think you made mistakes around, but continually judging yourself is not useful. And a lot of people that live in anxiety are often in judgment of themselves. So suspending judgments is another tool. These aren't easy tools to work with, I will say that. They take time and they take patience. But we can undo the wiring. We can rewire ourselves over time. The brain can change. My daughter's living proof of that. Your, uh, I think she'd be your great niece, wouldn't she? She, um, um, I share a personal story to our listeners. When my daughter was eight months old, she got meningitis and yeah, I remember, she, yeah. um, she was a very, very sick baby and we nearly lost her. And she ended up getting scar tissue on her brain, which we didn't actually know until she was uh, six. And she was having absent seizures. She was having up to over 100 absent seizures a day. And this wasn't diagnosed wow. until um, the end of prep. She actually repeated her first year of um, primary school so she did a year in um, another state and then when we moved to Victoria she repeated because um, it worked better with the ages and how the system worked and there were different types of schooling in the states and anyway it worked out best for her but that teacher actually realized that there was something medically not right and it was yeah. her that um, yeah, yeah. that worked it out and we went straight to the doctor and she's been seeing a neurologist for years. But what has actually happened and what the therapies that we used and have been working on with her, oh, she's 15 now, so for a long time, is working on her neuroblasticity. And now um, her yeah. executive function is working in a much more efficient manner. There are some things that she still really struggles with. We've done a whole bunch of different, we've tried medications, we've done art therapy, we've done music mm. therapy, we've had tutors, we've done mm-hmm. a whole lot of um, behavioural, um, neurobehavioural work for her um, with different games and things that she's been playing and doing. And it has worked and you can change your brain. It is amazing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it takes an effort, an effort like that to actually get the brain to change, it doesn't happen overnight because the neurological pathways are far more powerful than the emotional stuff and the rational stuff that we think about. Uh, That neurobiology and neuroscience has opened doors for therapy and the way in which we approach it now. Mm. So in that, in that, 
these these tools and practices take a very long time. Obviously, as we can see from my daughter, it's taken a very long time for that to happen. But in the short term, with the next three months, mm. six months, however long this is going to go on for, um, can people utilize? I mean, the writing is amazing. Um, as people know, I'm a massive fan of journaling. That's fantastic. Another thing that I've found that I, was really useful for me in my recovery from the Swiss canyoning disaster was um, a form of art therapy. And that's probably also because I'm very artistic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a painting in my lounge room mm. that you would have seen. And I did that painting. Mm. I was angry. I was, I was sad. I was suffering horrendous survivor's guilt. I was in the middle of PTSD, I actually wanted to die when I did that painting. And um, yeah. when I did it, though, uh, and I just basically, I didn't think about the, the artwork that I was doing. I just grabbed a whole lot of different materials and I literally just threw this different materials at the paper and I was throwing fabric dye and scribbling things. But what I produced was something that I actually now look at every day and say what a blessing it is to be alive but it was the emotions that I got out when I used my creativity to move through that fear move through that anger through the hurt through the suffering that I was going through and that's another really good bit like the writing where you're just free writing um, utilizing if you are a creative type just scribbling on the paper or getting some paints and throwing it down on wherever you want to do it just to get that out of your body that's another way, and I think that's a very creative way to do it. We need to sustain these things, though, over time. You know, the things you're asking me about, what can you do? Yes, you can do things in the moment, but you've actually got to practice mm. them. And and the best place you can practice them is in relationship with other people because that's where your anxieties and things are like, apart from societal anxiety like this, that's where your anxieties are likely to pop up more uh, than than being by yourself. And so how you get triggered and understanding how you get triggered. The self-talk is one thing, but when you get triggered by somebody else doing something that's not okay with you and you get emotionally out of sorts about it, that's anxiety-driven, it's fear-driven because you're trying to protect yourself. And understanding how your protective strategies work and reshaping them is a tool you can use. Again, these things don't take two seconds. You know, the two, I, I found the two hardest things to be in life is a parent and a partner. But it's the thing we learn least about unless you do the sort of work I do as a profession. People go to university, you go and train in certain qualities that you have, techniques that you've got, whether you do it formally or informally, we spend our life learning how to drive the car. Mm. But we don't spend our life learning how to relate on the road, hence we get people with road rage. We get cranky when someone does something on the road as soon as they cut in on us, right? What's that silly fool doing? That's all a protective strategy. Even those small things like that have implications for bigger patterns. I had one guy I was managed, doing some anger management with and he couldn't get on top of his temper. And I said, how do you drive a car? He said, oh, they're all so hopeless, right? And it's this and that. And he had to drive to, from, from uh, the northern suburbs of Sydney to Wollongong every day. And he'd be taking people over, and I, man I helped him manage his anger by, tem by tempering his road rage. Right? If someone did something silly, ask himself, what must that be like for that person to feel the need to do that rather than get angry about it 
and just notice how your body responds. Small experiments with this stuff is what works, not big goals, because if we don't meet them, we then judge ourselves for not meeting them. So small experiments is another technique. Try something new. Right. And um, I was working with a guy this morning, actually, over in the US and um, on Zoom, and he's struggling with this whole notion of letting go and trying to understand it. And trying to understand it, you end up standing under it. It's like trying to understand electricity. The experts are divided. All you need to know is how to turn a light on, change a globe, and maybe a fuse. Then you call an electrician. But we don't call an electrician around relationship unless we're really stuck. And so being open to receiving support, we're often independent enough to kind of push that away or think I'm strong enough to not need it. All those things are blockages to using any tool, whether it's breathing or anything else. So the self-talk stuff is useful to switch it, notice it. First of all, you've got to notice it. That young man saying he was stupid and he would say things like, that's never going to happen. Right? That kind of language just locks you up. And I, in one of the check-ins with him one day, I said, I've got an invitation for you. I'm calling George. I've got an invitation for you, George. Are you open to that? He said, yeah. I said, can you catch yourself when you use words like never, always, all the time? See if you can catch yourself doing that and see where it takes you. He's stopping and he's starting to open up. This is the guy with dyslexia. Right? He's starting to cooperate more because he's been, he's taught, actually, he's been taught to rebel, to cope as something as a defensive mechanism. Really good advice. John has a fabulous book which really helps for with so many helpful tools and explanations uh, and it's called Breaking Patterns, A Map to Finding Love, Joy and Contentment. And that's available on Amazon. The link will be in the show notes for today's episode. So, John, thank you so much for being on the When We Are Brave podcast. What an exciting thing to do together. I've loved this. Yeah, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been really fun. Great. But the top, the topic itself, parts of the topic itself, are not fun. But learning to journey our way out of these challenges, it's by the inch, it's a cinch. By the yard, it's very, very hard. So small experiments would be my encouragement. Yeah, that's great advice to everybody. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. It's lovely to do it with you. And congratulations on your own work as well. It's lovely to see it. As I've said to you before, if I didn't know better, I'd think you're my daughter rather than my <laughs> niece. <laughs> uh, blood runs thick in our family. <laughs> yes, yeah, it does. All right, until next time. Yeah. Thank you. All righty. You too. Take care. Yeah, Bye. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Wow. Well, that is my uncle. And he is an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to our emotions and how our brains work. I absolutely loved having him on the show. And I think he's given us so many amazing tools. Don't forget your four by four by four breathing. So important. Anytime when you get frustrated, anxious, stressed out. I know I use it often getting the kids organized for homeschooling in our current environment. <laughs> if you'd like to connect with John, you can go to his website, johnharradine.com. I've also got links in today's show notes, which are on my website, tiffanyjohnson.com.au. 
there are lots of great tools in today's episode. So I hope you got a lot out of it. I hope that it's helped you to feel braver in these uncertain times and how we can move through our fear and get to the other side. So until next time, stay safe, be brave and live your best and bravest life. If you enjoyed today's episode or the other episodes of When We Are Brave, I would love it if you could leave a review. Reviews help shows get the word out in the podcasting world. Or if you could also subscribe. That way you won't miss another episode of When We Are Brave. Shows are dropped weekly on a Monday, so make sure that you subscribe and get your new episode every Monday. You can find out more about me on my website, tiffanyjohnson.com.au. You can also find out more about my book, Brave Enough Now, an inspirational true story of self-discovery, survival and hope. It's my story of how I came to find who I truly was and how I came to survive the 1999 Swiss canyoning disaster. It's available now on Amazon and I also have signed copies on my website. Plus, I have my free mini guided journal, which you can download your copy today on my website. It could just be the thing that you need to help you feel brave and live your best and bravest life. I also love sharing my story with audiences across the globe. As a keynote speaker, I tell my story and share tools and tips on resilience and how you can live your best and bravest life. You can connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn or send me an email. I'd love to connect with you. Head over to my website, tiffanyjohnson.com.au. I've also started up a new Facebook group free for you to join today. It's called Brave Hearts. So if you're keen to join with other brave souls, head over to the Facebook group, Brave Hearts. I'd love to see you in there. So my friends, be brave. Until next time and live your best and bravest life.